Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Awesome to have you here for the first episode of the new year, so happy new year to everyone out there. And before we jump into it, um, I wanted to extend an open invitation to all the listeners out there. You know, I've had the great opportunity to get back to some of my coaching roots over the last year plus, um, whether it was around mentorship with sales executives or things I've learned with this podcast or, you know, a variety of other things. Uh, but it kind of takes me back to when I used to teach golf and I love doing that, love it, help others um, kind of improve and kind of get on their own journey. So I want to extend an open invitation, no strings to any of the listeners out there, because I thought, hey, maybe there's some folks that are listening in that want to start their own podcast or maybe are in an organization. They need some help from a sales or leadership standpoint, or maybe they're an entrepreneur kind of navigating the way early on. Maybe I can give some advice there. I don't know. It could just be a sounding board, but I want to extend um, 15 minute calls to anyone that wants to jump on with me. I'm happy to listen in, kind of hear your story and what you're going through. Go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash contact and just fill out the form and then I'll connect with you from there and we'll, uh, we'll find a time that works. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting to know some of the listeners a little bit further and uh, happy to connect with you guys uh, going forward. All right, so now that we got that covered, let's jump into the episode today in my chat with Randy Ginsberg, who is the author of Adversity to Advantage. It's really a book about how you overcome adversity and how that can propel you to a more positive life. Um, we talk a lot about bullying and how that impacted him early on and really led him to writing the book and do speaking and some other things that he's involved with. So I really appreciate Randy coming on, sharing the story, being vulnerable um, about some of the things that he went through in terms of bullying early on, uh, but the, how that did shape him and some of the lessons that uh, we talk about from his book that could be really helpful for anyone else uh, listening in, whether you've been bullied or whether it's just some adversity that you're going through in your life. Uh, we kind of got dive deep in a few different areas there. So excited for y'all listening in this episode. Without further ado, let's jump into my chat today with Randy Ginsburg. Let's get it started. Randy, awesome to chat with you again, man. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, man. How are things going on your end? Everything's good. How about you? Yeah, no complaints, man. December's already here. We're almost into 2020. It's I know. It's pretty crazy. insane. Uh, man, I, I tell you what, I want to go down a lot of different avenues with you. One of the things I want to say up front, man, I was really impressed with your book. I have Thank to you. say, man, I've read through it. Um, I was one, I like the personal stories and they were really in depth. You know, sometimes you read books and they're kind of scattered over and what have you, but I, I really appreciate the vulnerability there. Um, and I want to get into some areas of the book and some of the other stuff you're doing now. Can we start back though with the bullying? Is that cool? Yeah, definitely. Let's just dive right into it. One of the things I want to, do you remember, now you're not old by any stretch, right? <laughs> you're in your early twenties, but do you remember the first time you were bullied? Yeah, honestly, I do. And it came from just me being like stupid, like picking my nose in class or something, right? Someone right. saw it and made up a huge deal about it and then was like telling people. And I was like, no, don't tell people. Meanwhile, everyone, their mom picks it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. something like that. So small happens and it just blew up. And then it kind of just snowballed into making mistakes at soccer practice and being like, oh, you're the worst soccer player, even though everyone makes mistakes and just yeah. different um, little things. And it really came a lot from appearance. Just I like I mentioned in the book, I was a super late bloomer. I had really long, greasy, blonde hair, acne, 
a lisp fuck teeth like any um appearance based thing aside from being bullied about the color of my skin which unfortunately a lot of kids are subject to i um i was the recipient of so that really had a profound effect on everything that i talked about in the book and like did you have a core group of friends though like people you hung out with like there were true real friends of yours so that's the thing when you hear bullying traditionally you think of the kids sitting alone at the lunch table you think about isolation you think about someone who might have no friends and for me that was so the opposite um i've had the same core group of friends from actually kindergarten until now and they're still my best friends today and i couldn't imagine life without them but during all of this they were there for it, you know? They weren't necessarily intervening because, which a good friend in theory should, but when you're that age and you're exposed to that, you don't wanna intervene because you're afraid that the attention might then be brought on you. And I think as um, younger kids, especially in middle school, and it starts to uh, veer off in high school, but especially in middle school, you're still insecure, you're still self-conscious about everything that's going on in your own life and you don't wanna attract any attention to yourself and there were a few kids um a few friends that did stand up for me every now and then but overall it was a lot of just bystander type of stuff because i was involved in all the sports i was always a good athlete so i was on all the teams and a bunch of other extracurricular after school things so i was always around people and i always had friends and was invited to um certain things so it wasn't like i was sitting alone but it was just a very unique situation where I didn't have the courage to stand up for myself and no one else really cared enough to stand up for myself either. So it was something that continued and continued for a few years until I decided to take action. Did you have a, what was like the size school that you went to? Like your middle school, how many kids were there? So the middle school in my town, there were two middle schools, but I had friends from both of them. I don't remember the exact size, but my graduating class in high school was 365 kids. And that brought together both middle schools. So I'd have to okay. imagine somewhere around there. So similar to mine, probably um, from upstate New York, if you from our last conversation, you remember, but yeah. the uh, I, I'm just curious, because my whole thing is like, <sighs> were you the only one, like, did you see other kids getting bullied or were you even aware of that? Or you just, I know sometimes like I remember back in the day, like, I mean, I, I guess I got bullied too. Um, there was a couple of times where I remember I actually had a good friend that stood up to the guy mm-hmm. and it was a guy I hung out. Like these are people I hung out with. It's probably exactly. a similar situation. Maybe years. Like I hung out with the, these few people and, and we hang out, my brother would hang out with them and all this stuff. But then like, for whatever reason, like in middle school, actually the, the one guy, he was a lot bigger, um, mm-hmm. and you know, came from a different background, uh, maybe. So it was interesting cause he, I remember him bullying me several times in the bus and all that. And luckily I had a great friend that stood up to him one day, like came off the bus with me and basically like, and he was a big athlete and he basically mm-hmm. said a few choice words in his face. And, <laughs> and that was the last time the guy ever bullied me. Um, yeah. and so it's interesting. Like, did you have that scenario where like you felt some people were your friends, but then they kept picking on you? You tell the one story in the book that was interesting where your mom kept driving all over the place. Yeah. You know, like I, did that register right away with you or was it just one of those things you wanted the acceptance so bad mm-hmm. that you couldn't really tell? Yeah. So within my initial friend group, I always felt accepted even though they didn't necessarily stand up for me. And ironically in that story, perfect example of that 
the when my mom was driving around and they were telling me to go to the movie theater and the McDonald's and all these places and then we would show up and they weren't there and then we showed up to a, the friend's house and everyone was outside and they ran away when they saw my car but the kid whose house it was is actually my best friend to date and he was one of the few that even though it was his house he kind of was like caught in this moment of what do I do because I don't I don't want to be like the kid who doesn't do this but at the same time this is my good friend and so he kind of like lagged behind the rest and especially in my school yeah I was definitely not the only kid who was bullied and I don't think that I was even someone who might have gotten it the worst it was bad for me and it had a um, poor effect on my mental and physical health but I'm sure that there were other kids I know that there were other kids who were and they were more of the victims of the isolation and the sitting alone at the lunch table and some a lot of mine was um, emotional and verbal and over internet. There were a few physical instances, but I know others who were very um, more physically based. And it's interesting because I'm talking about this idea of not wanting to intervene because you don't want the attention on you. And even in my own experience, I witnessed other kids being bullied and I didn't necessarily gang up on them. You know, I wasn't a protagonist, but I, or antagonist, but I, um, I watched it happen and I was afraid to go and stand up for even though I could empathize with them and I understood the pain that um, they were feeling, I didn't want to attract the attention on myself as well. So I was guilty of doing that same thing that I was talking about. Well, and one of the interesting stats I saw in there you talk about is the, the 47%, mm-hmm. um, which I, I was intrigued by that that was that all the, and, and maybe why don't you share, you probably can do it more eloquently. I am. What, what does the 47% mean? Yeah, so this was actually really fundamental and foundational in the entire process of the book because I initially had this idea of I wanted to interview a bunch of successful entrepreneurs who were bullied in adolescence to see if it actually helped them grow and turn into more successful business leaders. And so one of the first pieces of research I found came from a woman named Ellen Delara, and she is a psychologist, researcher, professor at Syracuse University where I actually um, went to school. And she's also an author, and she wrote this book called Bullying Scars, which examines the post effects of bullying from childhood all the way through adulthood. And in her own independent research, she interviewed um, a series of 900 people, adults age 18 from 65, from all walks of life, all different occupations, from doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, down to service workers, and really anyone across the spectrum. And what she found was that 47% of this, these 900, these respondents, reported that the bullying actually had a positive impact on their lives. So almost 50% of the people said that bullying actually helped them and helped shape them to be the people that they are today. So I found that to be incredible because conventionally you think bullying to be terrible and it ruins lives and not that it's good by any means, but the fact that there is a positive route that you can take from it and there is positivity that can stem from it, I found to be really amazing. And that was the kind of aha moment that I had before I then went and um, started to interview these other people. And what they found, the respondents then went down to break some of the criteria that they thought that they had benefited from the most by this bullying. And a bunch of them listed resilience and empathy, or resilience and independence. So that is just so prime for entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship, you get 10,000 no's, 100,000 no's, whatever it is, 
before you get a yes and you need to get back up and you need to keep persevering through ambiguity and uncertainty and financial instability. So there's so much hardship that comes with entrepreneurship and by having this increased sense of resilience and training yourself to think resiliently, you're actually putting yourself at a huge advantage. Um, another thing that they really reported helping them was their sense of moral development. So not wanting to treat people the same way that they have been treated, which also breaks down into empathy and emotional intelligence. And that, of course, is huge for entrepreneurs. And it's such a people-friendly career path. You're interacting with others on a daily basis. You're, you're forming teams. You're negotiating. And there's so much face-to-face -face human interaction that this experience with bullying or adversity in general actually gives you an advantage and a humanistic yeah, humanistic edge that can help you in these ways. And then the last thing that a lot of these um, people reported as being a positive effect of their bullying was this idea of goal attainment. So having that chip on your shoulder, that motivation for work ethic and the desire to prove yourself to the people who had mistreated you in the past. And for entrepreneurs, you hear a lot of people, um, I know Barbara Corcoran specifically, she's always tweeting and always talking about how adversity and failure and um, people doubting you are such important stepping stones and catalysts for growth and this desire to prove yourself and to fuel your dreams is really something that can keep you along the path. So those were the four biggest criteria that people from this study reported in their own lives. And then once I had that, I was able to speak to these other entrepreneurs and see that it was actually um, prominent in their lives as well. And that really became the basis for the book. And you, and you talk about too that, so that I want to go into it, the business side of things. Cause obviously as you've grown and, and some of the other things you're doing now we'll get into, but you talked about the sneaker business. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about the genesis of that and kind of how that, I yeah. guess, move forward, if you will? Definitely. So one of the things I was always bullied over is I grew up in a pretty wealthy town and, um, some kids were entitled, but regardless of that, they just had access to the newest sneakers and the newest clothes. And my parents were definitely able to provide for me. I had two amazing parents, but they had a very um, stern sense of you need to earn everything that you get. So if you want the newest sneakers, if you want the Nikes, the Jordans, whatever, get a job, go work for it. And I didn't have a job, but I'd always wanted these sneakers and I was bullied because of it and I had a love for fashion and footwear. And so this was about the time that Facebook was getting super popular, Instagram was just coming on the scene and there was this huge craze that's still in effect now, a little bit different but still the same, of sneakerheads and buying and selling sneakers and high-end fashionable clothing online. And so I had been taking notice to this because there were a ton of Facebook groups that were dedicated to solely just selling sneakers. And so I was spend my time after school looking at them and studying the new styles and a bit of the market, the price, just how everything, how the whole business operated. And then one day I was like, you know, I think I could start to do this on my own. Um, I can make some money. It would be a job. I'd work, get the money that I wanted to buy the sneakers. And then I'd also just have all this exposure to business. And like I said, any clothing and sneaker I want, I could um, get by working. So I begged my parents for $150. It's like, I'm going to buy this one pair. 
I'm going to flip it immediately. It's going to be perfect with that pair. I'll buy more. I bought this one pair for 150. It sat for two months. I tried selling on Facebook, eBay, um, Instagram. No one wanted it. a pair of Nike SBs. And my parents were kind of pissed off. They were like, just wear the damn things. Like, shouldn't have given you this money. Um, and lo and behold, two months later, they sold for 220 bucks. And with that 220, I bought two more pair and then traded one of the pairs to another kid at school for two more pair and sold those two. And it all just started snowballing where there's just momentum. And so what initially took me two months to sell a pair, it was taking me a week or a few days. And so from there, once I started to build up a bit more money, I built up like $1,000. Like anything you can buy in bulk, you get cheaper. So I would start to buy um, three, four, five pairs of sneakers at a time. And a lot of these sneakers were actually used. And you'd think, who would want to wear sneakers that someone else had already walked a mile in, right? But there was a huge market for used sneakers, and especially ones who might have been a little trash. So I'd find myself ironing out the creases or repainting the midsoles or just whatever, touching them up a bit. And then I'd go and resell them and I'd be buying them in such quantities that the price would be um, lower and it helped my profit margin drastically. And just over time, this continued to snowball and snowball. And I was making a couple thousand dollars a month buying and selling sneakers on top of having a collection of 30, 40 pairs that I would wear and just continuously change in and out and was able to buy my own new clothes. And that then gave way towards me being super interested in fashion and taking some classes at Fashion Institute of Technology on entrepreneurship and merchandising, and then going on to make my own clothing and selling that at school. So it really just birthed this. I'd always had an entrepreneurial bug, but this was really the first time that something substantial had come from it as opposed to like door-to-door snow shoveling or lemonade stands or smaller things this was something that helped me escape my bullying and really gave me my own identity it gave me confidence and I went from feeling like I was this kid who everyone knew as the kid who was bullied to now I was the sneaker and fashion kid and um, it really parents knew about it kids knew about it teachers knew about it it really became my identity as did just my passion for entrepreneurship in general. Well, and I think let's dive in. There's two really key points I picked out of that. There's probably some more I missed, but two key points I picked out of that. One is, um, you know, you can change who you are, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you were bullied and maybe you weren't the most popular kid or whatever, you can change that in a, in a short period of time, even just putting in some kind of grit and hustle and those type of things. So we can dive into that. One of the, the key, um, kind of insights you shared there that I want to dive into is how did you get, you know, this is the biggest thing with just get started, right? Is the, the taking the leap mm-hmm. to, yeah, this is a cool idea or this is something I want to do, or I need to get money for whatever. And then actually doing it and executing on it and then continuing to execute. Where did you get the confidence? Do you remember at that time, like the confidence, because you were bullied, maybe you weren't, you didn't have the most confidence in the world. How did, how did you go to that step to start selling these sneakers? Yeah, definitely. Um, it really was, like you said, I was bullied. I, had, I was very anxious. I was depressed. And there was so much going on in my mind that this was actually a huge distraction from all of that. I found that even before me starting the business, when I was just learning about sneakers because it was something that I was super interested in and reading on the blogs or on these Facebook groups, that my mind was no longer thinking about all of 
the bad stuff that was going on in my life. So it was actually therapeutic. And by applying yourself, and Ellen Delara talks about this in her book, that one of the best ways to escape adversity or bullying specifically is actually investing yourself in a meaningful project or giving yourself some sort of um, purpose, even if it might not seem like it at the time. So once I found that, that it actually made me happy, I also felt like, what else do I really have to lose, right? You know, I don't have, I'm not that responsible for anything right now. I'm still in high school. If I lose $150, I'll figure out a way to get it back to my parents. And nothing, you know, I'm not going to, at first I was a little like, oh, people are going to see me selling sneakers. I was worried about what they would think because my posts would come up on their newsfeed and then people were also skeptical as my parents were kids were I got initial flag for that too I got bullied for that a little but it just for me I didn't think it could get worse you know I only thought it could make the situation better and it did and that's even kind of the way that I feel now just going and sharing my story because traditionally and just human nature we're wired to seek um, acceptance and we're wired to think about how other people think of us and that's something that you need to try to wean yourself off of, but it's kind of been a stepping stone for me when I try to approach anything else. Well, I'm right now sharing some of my deepest, darkest things that I had traditionally initially kept very close to my heart now to the world. So if I'm not being judged for that, or even if I am being judged for that, who cares? Because whatever this is, it's not going to be as deep as that. So that was sort of the same idea in the sense that it can't get worse. Um, I've already had this out on the table. I'm ready for change. And that was really the leap that I took. No, that's great. Yeah. Cause that goes to that second point is where I was going to ask it. Cause I think it, a lot of times as you get older, you know, I'm seeing this now in my mid thirties, like not really caring what other people think and not being, you know, that judging it's hard back in middle school and high school. So the fact that you probably, as you're talking about that adversity you went through from bullying maybe was a stepping stone to help you uncover like yeah I can't get any worse than this let me just kind of go forward with it so that's pretty neat and I'm curious if you can share any um well is there any insight maybe from someone that and uh, you know someone that's younger listening to this or maybe they're just starting out like one thing you learn from that sneaker business whether it's from an organization standpoint whether it's from just you know Facebook selling or anything like that 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 you thought was interesting yeah I mean the one thing that I actually learned that burned me the one biggest challenge I faced was just if it's too good to be true um, it is too good to be true because you would get with all the great people that you would interact with on these pages there were also scammers who would say hey I'm gonna give you this pair of sneakers that was initially a thousand dollars but I need money for Christmas gifts so I'm gonna give it to you for three hundred dollars and you know as a kid you're just oh my god I'm gonna make seven hundred dollars on this pair let me jump right into it and I actually lost money a couple times to scammers by just getting fooled by these phony deals. So that's definitely one, if it's too good to be true, probably is. And then the second one is just um, being organized and use the tools that you had, that you currently have to your advantage. Cause I did a lot of my selling on Facebook and some in-person stuff as well, but there was a huge market on Instagram that I didn't really tap into. And I kick myself every day because when Instagram just started and a new platform just starts. So for selling stuff, TikTok might not necessarily be um, the best option, but if a new platform appears, go and explore it. Because if you became, if you started on Instagram, right when Instagram came out and you became a leader 
in the sneaking sneak sneaker selling on Instagram, you know, 10 years ago, that, that just carries so much weight going forward. So familiarizing yourself with these platforms and just keeping up with whatever industry um, you're in and whatever big societal things are going on is really important. So we're talking a lot about the book. When did the idea to actually write a book come into your peripheral? Yeah, so that came, I was actually at Next Gen Summit, which for if any listeners don't know, great conference for um, entrepreneurs of all ages. And I'd heard of a man named Eric Custer, and he was speaking about um, this course that he teaches at Georgetown, where he requires students to write a book and this idea of how um, books can be used as creation events and unlock different opportunities going forward. And I'd always, like I'd shared in these stories, love to um, create and love this idea of creating opportunity and was looking for a new project to tackle. And so that was actually in last June. And then I spoke to him a bit at the conference and we kept in touch and I started writing it around early September. And then it came out in late July. Wow. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah, very quick. I almost wish I had more time on it, to be honest. Well, I mean, in, in, and for folks that, you know, want to go out and read, I think there's, you'll, you'll see, there's a lot of personal stories. So I'm assuming those you could probably get through. I don't want to say quickly, but like, you know, is jotting down like all these memories, right? And, and then you just yeah. have to organize them. Definitely. What about the interviews and some of the stories that you decided to use? You know, I, I was interesting because obviously you had a couple you know, Elon Musk obviously had in there, you talked about, you mm -hmm. talked about Tom Ford. So you had some different, maybe that was because you like fashion and stuff, but what, how did you choose some of the stories you wanted to put in there? Um, I you know some of the interviews, how did you, how did you uh, decide what, what got in or what was on the cutting room floor? Yeah, definitely. So when I first started just looking for people to interview or people to do research on and share their stories, when you bullying is something that you either have two types of people, people who have experienced it and keep it inside their entire lives and are ashamed by it. And then you have the people who are very outward with their stories and want to use it to help others and want to use it just to share what they've been through. So find, there are a lot more of the people that keep it inside. So finding people to interview at first was actually very hard because with a quick Google search, even if you go 20 pages, into um, the search results, you still see the same people come up, especially those who are more prominent. So um, Elon Musk and Tom Ford were two of the biggest entrepreneurs who outwardly spoke about what they had gone through. And there was a ton of content about that already. So I knew I wanted to include that, especially because people um, know them and people can easily connect with them. But I also went and found a bunch of other um, smaller entrepreneurs, but still very successful in their own lanes, who I was able to actually take the chance to sit down, whether it was on the phone or in person, and interview. And these people I found from past articles that had um, been written on. There was one and uh, a entrepreneur named Andrew Niku, who he's the CEO of Open Gate Capital, which is a multi-billion-dollar private equity firm out in LA and Paris. And he had actually had an article written about him in Entrepreneur. A few years back so I'd read that article and guessed his email address cold emailed him and was actually shocked that he replied like rather quickly and was more than happy to speak to me and so that was one and then just once I would speak to other people I'd always ask at the end um, you know my mission you know what I'm working on is there anyone else in your network you think might be willing to speak with me or might resonate with um, what I'm doing 
And that was really instrumental, just getting these referrals and people saying, hey, let me connect you with so-and-so. And that's really how these interviews started to build up. But one th- a story that I actually don't share that often was I conducted probably 10 or so interviews before I realized that the recording software that I was using didn't record any of them. And so I went to sat, sit down like two months later and I had some notes that I like chicken scratch or some stuff in my head, but I was really relying on having these recordings that I'd be able to later transcribe and they were gone. So I lost honestly a few good interviews that I didn't feel comfortable reaching back out to these people because they were so generous with their time and I needed to just kind of piece together what I remembered and that really defined just resilience in entrepreneurship, resilience in any activity that you, um, any project you might take on because I was sitting there like, holy crap, like I just did all this work and I have nothing to show for it. So that was probably the hardest part about um, writing the book, especially interview wise. Well, I mean, I think that's a good lesson though for anyone listening that, you know, that comes up this the, the quote literally comes up like in every podcast but you know we suffer most often in imagination and than in reality mm-hmm. you in your head right were like well i'm not going to reach out because these people are busy or whatever but the reality is that they were nice enough to give you time once people are human they probably would have understood yeah. like yeah that happens right You're right you know but i'm curious what did you say in your first email to get the response um do you remember yeah, well, it was really just this whole progression because I would start out with these super long, lengthy emails trying to just explain like everything that I would want to say. And I didn't get a response for a lot of them because who would take the time to read this from a stranger? So I really started to just work and condense it down into a few lines saying, hey, I'm a student at Syracuse University majoring in entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, I'm embarking on this journey of writing a book focusing on the intersection of bullying and entrepreneurship. I noticed that you shared your story in XYZ. Um, would you be willing to take 10 minutes to chat with me? And just that really condensed version and kind of leaving a bit of question on the table of just saying like, I'm interested in the intersection of bullying and entrepreneurship and how it helps others, but not going into the full nine yards and all of the details and all the people that I've interviewed in the past and just, all the stuff that I was initially including, leaving them just with a brief, concise, kind of just like punchy ask was actually very helpful. And once I started to shorten everything down, I saw a lot more responses come through. Yeah, I, I can't agree more, especially from a sales standpoint. Like I look at it, even not even asking for time sometimes, you know, almost like, have you ever, you know, would you ever consider, you know, mm-hmm. speaking about your story or, or let me learn about your story? Because you're all you're trying to do really is get a response. Yeah. They respond, then there's at least that in interaction the there. You got to see. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome that you're able to get that. I think that just proves that, you know, we, we have to, the fear of rejection is so mm-hmm. kind of in our brains that we're scared to ask because we perceive that they're going to do this, that, or the other. We have no idea. And most people are giving other time and they want yeah. to, um, they want to help out because someone probably helped them out in the past. Yeah, Definitely. Um, and that's kind of a good transition because one of the other things I wrote down here, I'm really um, interested to hear about, because obviously you had, you know, a lot of the bullying and some positive effects that came out of that. But do you recall, and, and again, I know you're not terribly old, so we'll see, you know, see what, what happens with this. But like, is there one or two people that have absolutely, you can kind of shout from the rooftops, they have been an absolute positive impact and maybe share a story or two that 
they've helped you with more mentors or coaches or anyone that, um, that you've had in, in your career? Yeah. I mean, going through as far as people who have been there through the bullying, my parents were super supportive, but they never knew. They didn't know until I was 18. And so they were, they had no part in the bullying aspect. I did actually have these, this group of close friends that, um, were just instrumental in like keeping me positive. And when I was with them, the bullying wasn't an issue. And those are still my closest friends today. And even though if they were bystanders, they never, they would always still be warm to me. And I don't know, they would just keep me happy and sane. So those were really um, from like a social aspect and just friend aspect. Those were the people that kept me grounded. And then a few close girlfriends I found um, were really helpful as well, which was a two way, street because I would confide in these girls who I felt were like a bit more understanding and empathetic and then some of the bullies would be like oh you're speaking to girls you're gay because it was like when girls had cooties and all this stuff so that led to more bullying so it was an interesting um back and forth there but as far as business mentors um Eric Custer just the guy who helped me write the book and share my story and get it all out onto words and now that it's published and just everything that we're doing whether it's podcasts or personal coaching or press or whatever it is he's just been really instrumental in helping me um share my story and he was actually one of the people who helped me craft the invent framework that i use to really structure the entire book so without him none of this would have been possible and, and so what is Eric helping you with or what are you guys doing to promote the book? How are you getting it out there? Do you have a, is there yeah. a certain strategy you laid out prior or is it kind of just make it up as you go along? Like what's, I've heard different approaches. So I'm just, I'm wondering where you guys are taking it. Yeah. I mean, if there's one advice that I could give for anyone who wants to write a book, start early, start all of your press planning, podcast appearance, whatever you want to do um, to promote it, just start early plan six months in advance because everything takes more time than you think you know I spend I work my normal nine to five but I spend really all of my free time um, doing what I can to promote the book whether it's outreach to um, press and different publications through the same kind of cold email strategy that I really formed in my initial interviews or if it's reaching out um, to be on podcasts, everything takes time and you're going to get a ton of no's. You're going to get a lot of um, not res no responses. And even the ones that do respond, it's not just snap of the finger, your episode's out or things are scheduled. So by giving yourself time to strategically plan and just think about your next move, that's really um, helpful. And I didn't do that, but I've been so far doing press. So we had a nice feature in Inc.com and um, there's one coming out on entrepreneur.com tomorrow and then just podcasts and starting up a bit of personal coaching and a couple of speaking gigs at back at my alma mater Syracuse and then at my old high school. So just different ways to um, get it out to different audiences and try and make an impact and help other people use the book and the framework that I talk about there to apply it to their own lives and make some change in their own lives as well. Is there a certain audience you're going toward? You know, I, I know we, and this gets talked about a lot, right? Who's your kind of ideal client profile? Like who's yeah. the, is it for younger kids? Is it for, you know, young adults, just adults in general? Is there a certain group you're looking to go at with the book or that you're written for? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the themes can apply to people of different ages. I'd say that middle school and even the people who might necessarily go be going through bullying at the time 
it might be a little over their head as far as some of the topics and some of the um, business terms and acumen. But um, I think people ages 18 to 35, young professionals who, because everyone has something that's going on in their lives, and especially at that age when you're heading into college and even right after you graduated, you're still developing, right? Your brain's up until 25, the human brain's still developing. So um, just coaching them through that and getting them excited about entrepreneurship in general. I think one of, it's interesting because one of the talks I gave at Syracuse, it was for alumni weekend. So I'd initially thought that it was gonna be to um, students and people more around my age, but since it was alumni weekend, most of the people in the audience were 50, 60 um, years old. So I was a little took shook for a loop because I didn't know if what I was talking about might necessarily resonate with them. But what I found was that afterwards, so many people came up to me because regardless if it was them or it was their sons and daughters or it was their cousin or it was their friend who's a teacher who has students, bullying is something that directly touches so many different people and so many people can um, connect to. And then the second part of that is that one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is this idea of promoting or establishing empathy and emotional intelligence and having this increased sense of that through overcoming adversity. And I was actually recommended a book by a man named Shabir Ali, who is one of the people that I interviewed in the book. And the book was called AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee. And it talks about the current state of the artificial intelligence race between us and China. But it also talks about how our workforce is currently being shifted by automation. And we hear all the time that robots are taking over the world and all our jobs are gone and all of these things. And I'm in no place to say if artificial general intelligence will be around in 20, 50 years or how it's necessarily going to fully impact our jobs. But what I will say is that regardless of if you are a high schooler now or if you're 65 years old, artificial intelligence and automation will impact your life and your job in some way or the other for the most part. So what this chart shows, and he includes this chart in this book, it's an axis. So it's two axes on the vertical axis. You have um, ranging from social to asocial and on the horizontal, you have optimization based and creativity or strategy based. And then you have the four quadrants in the top right. And hopefully we can link this in the show notes or something so people can get a better um, sense of what I'm talking about. But in the top right, where social meets creativity and strategy based, you have the safe zone. Um, on the bottom right, where asocial meets creativity and strategy based, you have the slow creep. On the bottom left, where optimization meets asocial, you have the danger zone. And on the top left, where optimization based meets social, you have the human veneer. And so this chart really talks about the risk of replacement based on cognitive labor and um, socialization in careers. And one thing that I found super interesting is that throughout the chart, it's scatter plotted with all these different jobs based on how they fit on these set axes. And so you'll have um, things like financial planner, which is a pretty social job, but there are algorithms that can optimize the best way to invest your money or the best way to manage your wealth. Um, teachers are even being, they're very social, but there's even in China now, they're starting to optimize the way that certain courses are taught so that teachers might become obsolete. Um, on the danger zone, you have people like telemarketers where they can just quickly outsource these jobs to robots. 
Um, you have Google Duplex, which is already showing how a robot can pick up the phone and you can talk to them and you might not even know that you're speaking to something that's automated. But then you go to the safe zone and of the entire chart, the farthest right on creativity and strategy based and the farthest up on social is CEO. And so I found that to be super interesting because Kai-Fu Lee talks about how um, you can make machines optimize all of these decisions and even if artificial general intelligence becomes a thing and they're able to think on their own and they'll be able to do certain things that they're not now, they'll never be able to create a business. And they'll never be able to have that mix of right brain creative thinking and socialization, which is something that is so important and crucial in entrepreneurship. And so when I was speaking to um, this group of older folks, when this ties it all together, I was talking about how by having going through adversity and by developing empathy and emotional intelligence and being able to connect with people directly, because the one thing a machine can't do is, is be human. It can feel. So it can't connect like me and you can connect right now. So by having that humanistic side and that social side, and then also training yourself to think creatively and create your own opportunities, you're actually future-proofing yourself and you're future-proofing um, your career and the way that you operate regardless of what happens in the next 20 to 50 years. So as far as going back to just who my target audience is, yes, while bullying definitely is something that is um, more prominent in younger people's lives and by 60, it probably might not really matter to you, although it may, um, there are so many different parts of the book and so many different parts of the benefits that come from adversity that can apply to any other people's lives. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, that's a great point. And, and that's, I think, growing your personal brand as well is like you have these stories, but there's other ways to, because you're going to change as well as you get in your late 20s and 30s. Yep. Um, you know, you'll change and, and what have you. So is, I mean, for, for you is, do you have, or I guess have you figured that out yet? Is it more, are you going to write more books? Do you want to do speaking? Is there something other that you want to do? Like what, what kind of, what intrigues you right now? Yeah. Um, speaking is definitely something that I really enjoy, which is ironic because during the whole bullying thing, I was afraid of attention and afraid of public speaking um, in general. But from when I was 10 years old, people would ask me, what do you want to do? And I'd say, I'd want to start a business. I'd want to be CEO. And they say, of what company? And I say, I don't know. I just want to start our own business. And that's honestly something that's stuck with me still. Um, I do work the normal nine to five now. I have a full-time job, but that entrepreneurial bug is something that has stuck with me and I believe will continue to stick with me for my entire life. So starting my own business is um, the ultimate goal. As far as right now, doing trying to do as much speaking as possible, um, a bit of personal coaching, which is starting up in January. So working with others to use my event framework and partnering with other personal coaches who have their own frameworks and just helping people work through um, some of the adversity, specifically bullying, but other adversities in their lives and just using it as fuel and motivation for growth. And then ultimately just trying to help people. You know, that's really why I wrote the book. And that's what I enjoy interacting with people on a daily basis. How do you, you know, I'm going to take a, a, I'm going to throw a curveball here quick. How do you manage your time with, because, because, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, a full-time job as well and kind of do some side hustles mm -hmm. um, as you're doing, is there some time management skills that have been helpful for you or some things, techniques that you use? Yeah. Um, 
I think for me, luckily, my job only is really the strict nine to five. So I do have a good chunk of time at the end of the day. I really try to cut out TV. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV at all. I try to spend my time either doing work or reading. But I also, if I spend too much time doing something, I get very consumed and stressed out and it's just not healthy. So also scheduling the right time for um, friends and other social aspects when it's right, but really just cutting out anything that can't really um, benefit me right now. So TV and certain things that I know that I might want to watch or might want to do, but if I know it's not going to help my ultimate goal, just really chopping them out. That's a fair point. What, um, so let's end on this. What's, um, what's maybe one piece. So you've learned a lot in your, (laughs) in this span of time. Is there one key piece of advice or insight? Uh, Maybe it's a quote you live by something that you would share with everyone to kind of get them out, maybe get get out of their own way uh, to kind of start their own journey. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I've learned from anything that I've done is that I'd much rather try something and fail. And even if I do, if other, not to care what people think. So even if other people say like, oh, you failed, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I'd rather try something and fail rather than wish I did something and look back and regret wishing like, oh, what could it have been? And so that's something that I now try to live by all the time. Just like taking that leap, like you said, just getting started and knowing that, like you said, time is the most valuable asset we have it's so important you you use it or you lose it so i'd much rather do something um productive or try something and see what happens as opposed to just dwelling back and wishing what could have been okay so the book adversity to advantage amazon where else can they get it yeah right now um amazon's your best bet few local bookstores in new york but otherwise i'd say amazon you can go to my website um randymginsburg.com You can really get anything there. My podcast appearances, personal coaching, if you want to book me for speaking, anything, just reach out to me there. If you want to just talk about anything you're going through, I'm also all ears. And then, yeah, just hope you guys enjoy the book if you pick it up. I'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, Randy, this was fun, man. Glad to get a chance to uh, connect with you and uh, chat a little bit more about your journey and uh, good luck going into uh, 2020. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck as well. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode and look forward to having you in the next one. And if I could make one ask of the community, if you did enjoy this one or others, please head over to iTunes, leave me a quick review, give me a rating, let me know how I'm doing. It also gives a chance for this podcast to get bubbled up to more people, more exposure on it, and hopefully help other people on their journeys kind of get to that next level. And go check me out online. BrianAndraco.com is the website. Um, I have the podcast there, blog. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed in the last couple months, what's going on in my world. Um, At worst, it allows my mom to keep tabs on me and make sure I'm doing okay. And feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at BrianAndraco. Send me a DM. Let me know how you guys are doing, a little bit about your journey. I love to connect with new people and kind of hear what's making them passionate and motivated to reach fulfillment in their life. So I thank you guys again for listening in. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.